1: Welcome to episode three fifty three with my guest uh, Andy Kindler. Uh, this was recorded live at LA Pod Fest a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about uh, Heaven's Gate, which is a new podcast from our former guest Glenn Washington. Uh, Glenn's also the uh, host of Snap Judgment, an amazing storyteller. And uh, Glenn grew up in a cult and. This podcast, which is called Heaven's Gate, is about, uh, I don't know if you remember from the news years ago, but there was a cult called Heaven's Gate. They were in San Diego, and they thought that a UFO was going to come down from heaven and, and save them. And uh, Glenn talks to people who lost loved ones in that, people who still believe in the cult's teachings etc., etc. But, uh as you know, uh, he's an incredible storyteller, so hear it for yourself. Subscribe to Heaven's Gate, the podcast, wherever you listen, like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. My name is Paul Gilmartin, and this is the Metal Illness Happy Hour, a place for uh honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, this the show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist, it's not a doctor's office, it's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh the website for this show as well as my Twitter and Instagram handle is um uh, mentalpod. um mentalpod.com obviously would be the uh, the website for that. Um I want to read a couple of surveys. Um, I've gotten back into reading the uh, Struggle in a Sentence survey. For those of you that are new to the podcast, there's about a dozen surveys you can go to our website and fill out uh, anonymously, and they're a big part of the show. You know, half of the show is the interview with a guest, and then the other uh, portion of the show is uh, reading these anonymous surveys that you guys fill out. Uh, And these are from the Struggle in a Sentence, where people try to describe their their struggle uh, in a kind of concise way. Uh, this person calls himself, uh, Before I had good boundaries, I just built walls. And they write about their ADD. My favorite time to remember to take a long shower is when I'm cooking something at a high temperature. Uh, about their anxiety. I'm so exhausted from worrying about accomplishing nothing all day that I can't get out of bed until two o'clock. By the way, that's the time I got up today. Uh, about their alcoholism. I'm not an alcoholic. I just like to nap on the toilet in bars. <sighs> about their love addiction. I love how much you, you're ambivalent towards me. And about their codependency, uh, which apparently uh, she said this to her addict boyfriend. Why are you doing this to me? Thank you for those. Uh, this was filled out by Nicoldi. And she writes about her depression like I am a ghost floating through life but unable to connect with anyone. About her anxiety like my chest is being quickly filled with a dense gas and I need to evacuate the room ASAP before I explode. About her bulimia like I've become possessed and am now only a bystander to the actions performed by my own body. Boy, I think anybody who struggles with compulsive behavior just, their bell just got rung by that one. Man. Uh, about her anorexia. Like having an evil twin whose entire life purpose is to follow you around day after day and tell you how disgusting you are. Thank you for those. This is filled out by fuck, fuckery, fuck, fuck. Um, I highly encourage you to go get your name legally changed to that. And film it. Uh, About let's see, about her love addiction, envying those who actually have someone to be addicted to and about experiencing racial or cultural bias. Uh, not knowing if I should be offended when the teacher doesn't believe that I am actually black because apparently I don't have, quote, black people features or talk black. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I th- I would say if that's... Um, well, first of all why anybody would question why whatever ethnicity is that you told them that you are is fucked up um but whether uh, you didn't state whether that person said it overtly or not so I'm a little confused but uh, so I'm not sure if that's what you're thinking in your mind but I think it's fucked up whether they said something or not um I have been struggling uh, lately, as I've shared with some of you, uh, with learning to set boundaries and learning to uh, respect people's boundaries and sense people's boundaries. Um, And I told you that uh, BetterHelp.com is uh, one of the sponsors of this show. And uh, I work with a therapist there, and she's great. I've been with her for about a year and she said something to me at our, our last session. We do video to video sessions once a week and she said, I want you to think about the difference between sharing something with somebody so that you can be validated because you're feeling an emptiness inside you versus sharing something with somebody because it's a part of a process of you getting to know each other. And that kind of really helped me understand it more because one of the things that I struggle with is I have such a deep fear that I am inherently bad or unlovable or broken, um, or I should say a recurring feeling. You know, there are many moments when I feel like I'm okay and I'm loved and, you know, I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on, but there are times when I just go into a shame spiral. And one of the things that I do sometimes is I overshare because I want to be validated by somebody. I want, I want to be told that I'm okay. And I feel like if I share (laughs) I'm I'm imagining this is probably my thought process subconsciously is if you know everything about me then you have all the facts so if you still like me or even love me then uh, maybe there's a chance that I am lovable and that's not really fair to the other person because I'm making it all about me they're almost just becoming a vessel for my validation and it's a form of objectifying somebody whereas Slowly getting to know each other. It's not about hitting, you know, that there's no end zone of validation. It's just you're enjoying the process of bit by bit, you know, listening to each other. There's no sense of urgency to it. And uh, that really helped me. So um, I highly recommend uh, betterhelp.com. It's helped me. Uh, I love Donna, my therapist. And you can... uh, uh, go to betterhelp.com slash mental, complete a questionnaire, and they'll match you up with a uh, betterhelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counsel- counseling to see if uh, online counseling is a good fit for you. Uh, you got to be over 18, uh, but I love it. I love it. Um, before we get to the interview with Andy, I just have a couple more surveys, um, and This one is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Sam. And she struggles with depression. And she writes, "Um, every morning while I'm laying in bed paralyzed by my own fucking mind, I have to listen to the cheery sound from a primary school playground across the street. That is like one of the weirdest things in life is that when two completely different things are happening in the same space like getting horrible news on a sunny day like that's one of the things that just added to the fucked upness of 9-11 was that it was such a beautiful day Um, this one is filled out by uh, just another sad fucker (laughs) and about their depression uh, and anxiety. They write, uh, Depression and anxiety feels like being frozen in a block of ice inside your burning house. It keeps you frozen and helpless, but it's also the only thing keeping you safe from the flames. The feeling of always knowing it won't keep you safe from the inevitable pain that's fast approaching. That was a good one. Thank you for that. Uh, And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by... If you don't know Tunuck's Tea Cakes, you haven't lived. Uh, I have to say, that's the first time we've had that one uh, as somebody's uh, pseudonym. And this is their uh, awfulsome moment. Um, Today my grandparents came around for lunch. A news item about the Harvey Weinstein sexual assault scandal prompted a discussion around the issues of sexual assault and rape. I won't bore you with the details, but both my grandfathers offered such gems as... The woman always starts it, and if they were really upset about it, they would have reported it sooner. My grandmother was notably quiet. Sensing rising tensions, my mum suggested that me, my dad, and my brother come and help her with the washing up. I was standing in the doorway that divides our dining room from our kitchen when I heard them muttering something like, I think we won that one, didn't we? I lost it. I started screaming that they needed to leave, and I was punching the fridge. I then proceeded to collapse on the floor and have a panic attack. My panic attacks are often mistaken for epilepsy. I lose complete control of my body, shake uncontrollably, arch my back, and scream continuously. I happen to have a very anxious Fluffy cockapoo named Archie. Whenever one of us is upset, he licks our faces until we reassure him we are okay. And this time was no exception. He ran into the kitchen and started frantically licking my face. Unfortunately, because I had no control over my body, I was unable to shut my mouth or stop screaming. And this is how I ended up choking on my dog's tongue as he licked my tonsils. Eventually, my mum noticed and formed a protective barrier around my mouth with her hands. Once I finally stopped screaming and shaking and my breathing returned to normal, I looked up at my mum. the grandparents now long gone, and my head was in her lap. All she said was, I think we need to talk to Archie about consent. I'm so scared, so of, scared of being alive, alive. and so, so scared so of so dying. <laughs> i was so so lonely but i couldn't bear being around people and it hurt i've just been like very interested in dicks
0: i don't know how to let loose and just be
1: all my altars have different handwriting different
0: extremely anxious
1: affects i am most turned on when i am in fear
0: my first thought was i'm about to die
1: stomach
0: clutching despair
1: ocean of sadness i
0: came out over the phone to them
1: i put myself on the act diet in fourth grade for coming to the Uh, mental illness happy hour please welcome your host paul gilmartin hello hello thank you guys thank you so much for uh for coming uh thanks to uh la Podfest for existing and uh inviting me to to be a part of it i so look forward to this every year i really hope that uh um, they do it again next year there's some talk that uh, they don't know financially if they'll be able to uh, afford to do it next year but I, uh, I hope this isn't the last one at the, at the podcast why do, why do I got to bring it down right out of the gate why do, why do I feel like I got to go to the sad place with you guys like, like something upbeat would just be what is this positivity This lightness, it burns. (laughs) Uh, I'm so excited uh, to to have uh, Andy on. He and I met um, probably 20 years ago. I was writing marketing copy for uh, the WB network back before it merged and became the CW. And um, they would hire a, a bunch of comedians to come in and it was kind of almost a rotating door. And uh, I was aware of Andy's comedy before that and was a, and was a fan, but uh, when I got to work with him every day, it, it, I looked forward to work because he just made it so fun, and he made me laugh. Uh, and to this day, it makes me laugh so hard, and I'm so glad he can be here. Please welcome my friend, Andy Kendler. Thank you,
0: regular Jim Carney. Am I right? With the physical Jim humor? Jim Carney? Jim Carrey. It's my Jim Carrey oh, joke. Like okay. I don't remember his
1: name. For the uh, the listeners, Andy, just uh, sashayed in. Sashayed in. Very... Hilarious.
0: Everything... When I used to... When you... And, and uh... Exactly. But when I first did stand-up sh- sh- spots... Uh-huh. I didn't have the, the speech impediment. Uh... <laughs> I would plan my ad-libs. It's not a good thing.
1: Uh... So many things to uh, talk about. To avoid emotionally. To avoid emotionally. This is, I don't know if we're, If you'll be able to dodge for an hour. Will you be able to deflect with humor? Well, for I've a been solid running hour? away
0: from my feelings for so long yeah. that I'm expert yeah. at uh, avoiding it. I use humor a lot. Yeah. Just, you know, you asked me some would real. Some would disagree. Well. <laughs> Well, I didn't say I use it well. <laughs> That's because I use it as a deflection. Yeah. It's not real comedy. Uh, when I heard
1: you, <laughs> when I heard you on uh, Mark Maron, I, I, I was really shocked because you talked about having OCD and you got uh, really open uh, and you didn't you didn't deflect with, with humor. And I was like, but oh my that god, that was
0: humor, Paul. That was one of my bits about OCD. Oh, it didn't go well then. Oh, not funny. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, you need to you tighten that up. I knew, I knew listing the side
1: effects was a bad idea. Yeah, it's not, not very compelling.
0: No, you're, you're, that, you're right. That happened. Yeah. And how long ago? That was like right when I got into... I, I've been advertising myself as the oldest Jew to enter therapy. <laughs> I was 59 years old when I entered therapy. Where are you? I'm not really. My wife says please, do you have to tell the wait person how old you are? Just give it a rest. <laughs> Why don't you go down on Hollywood Boulevard and tell people, I'm dying. I'm dying inside. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a time period that, you know, they lo- I can't... The media, the, you know, I have this joke. I say, uh, you know, when I... They, they came knocking on my door because they were f- afraid I might have died. I don't know. I'm not saying the joke right. But the point is... <laughs> I said, at this age, Hollywood's knocking down my door because they're To see if you're okay. To see if I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> or checking the various assisted livings. Have you picked out an assisted living yet? No, but you know what you, I do do? You should you get... Oh, oh yeah, I'm you going wanna, to
1: be all over it. Yeah, you want to get a jump on traffic.
0: You know what I spend? I'm not lying either. I spend half my time with mail uh, avoiding AARP tricks. They try it. Yeah, Yeah. they go, your cards are here. They know if you see the name, you're going to throw it against a wall, right? Right. But they go, your cards are inside. Yeah. They refuse to put their name on the outside. That's, and now, Mm -hmm. but now is my chance. I'm sorry. I do have OCD, and in fact, I did OCD all the way up to this coming out. As you were saying my name, I was doing? doing a classic... Uh, OCD thing, my addiction is tw- Twitter, other things too i don 't know why I feel this will show it here 's where the, and he 's waving his phone around here 's where the transgressions occur mm-hmm. and uh, what I do what, one of the things you do on Twitter is it 's called checking it 's an obsessive compulsive thing, uh, so I tweet something How many times a day
1: do you uh, because some might label that as uh, narcissism
0: Oh, I think it definitely I mean yeah. I think we have. And that's not meant
1: as a shot, it's just... Uh... No, no,
0: we're all in the continuum, right? So I'm probably at the Ricky Gervais level of narcissism. <laughs> the thing you want to avoid is you want you want to avoid the Trump level of narcissism. Is I he... know you don't talk about politics, and as soon as you said, don't talk about... Well, you didn't really say that. Yes. But as soon as you said well, that, I said, well, you know what? It's about to get political on here. Well, anybody that would... You know what? I don't enjoy the president. <laughs>
1: Andy. the the listener is missing so much with Andy's facial expressions. I really wish we were live streaming. He's mugging up a storm right now. Mugula. Yeah, Muggler. I think anybody who would send me an email that says Trump is not a narcissist uh, would uh, enjoy my trash bin. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk about Twitter first. Okay. Um Because you can be really combative on on Twitter. You're very outspoken. That's a nice way to put it, (laughs) combative. You uh, upset some people on Twitter. Um, You've always been very honest about uh, things that you view as bad or mediocre in entertainment. And you call them out, and usually in a way that is so funny. But I would imagine... Painful sometimes for the person on the receiving end, um, or uh, give me give me some examples of uh, my favorite joke okay. that have that have gotten. Um, bad reactions like uh, my favorite joke that you do it it was not at a person's expense but I still quote it to this day did you guys ever see the uh, uh, there was a Comedy Central show called uh, Tompkins Square and it was it was stand-up that was done outside um, in Tompkins Square in uh, in New York and uh, (laughs) Andy's joke was uh, just what comedy needs more depth of field
0: (laughs) (laughs) I even laughed at my own material Depth that, of field. That is just... Adding the missing ingredient. Such classic uh, Andy Kendler. But let's talk... I'll give you a couple examples, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. Yes. Who died made Jim Belushi a big star? <laughs> Jay Leno has a car that runs on the energy of all the people's dreams that he's crushed. <laughs> um, hit a... Bill Maher is like Hitler, except Hitler was likable. <laughs> Donald Trump is like Hitler, except at least Hitler was a veteran. <laughs> but actually, the stuff that's happened online with Twitter, I wish it was... My, this, this is the big danger, and it's not big danger. I'm not, uh, there's two sides of my problem. Thinking that everything's going to be the end of the world, thinking that any negative... Uh, behavior I exhibit means I'm the behavior. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, so I can't... So I spent so much of my life defending against outbursts or defending against people not liking what I was doing by trying to justify it because I realized that I couldn't accept myself as someone who, would, who wouldn't be perfect. So I that's... So, so there's two sides to So you're of, trying
1: to control the ripples yeah. of what you do.
0: Yeah, and the controlling is like... If I get mad online and I'm trying to control, I'm trying to both make the person like me by uh, saying negative things about them, or, (laughs) but it's all about me fighting for my reputation. Like one of the first things I learned in therapy was, one of my big problems on Twitter is, like I, I heard something on Radiolab, and it's a, it's a good podcast, but they had announced that the uh, nephew Brendan Dassey. Anybody know these names? Brendan yeah. Dassey. They, he had M- been making a murderer. Yeah, but he, uh, the Brendan Dassey. I mean, I, I think is he out of jail? Anyone know? Still in there. Still in there. But he. It, it became clear that he had been manipulated into giving yes. a confession. Mm-hmm. So Radio Lab was playing an old episode of Radio Lab. Where they were saying he was guilty. This was before they found out the confession was. Uh, and they didn't bother to edit. So it I'm out. like yelling in my car. How was anyone going to know this is from the past? Well, I, tw- I-, I tweeted them like six times, and so uh, my therapist said, well, "What do you what's you know what do you expect to happen?" I say, "I do want it to change, and it's not going. You can't change people by uh, bugging them that much." <laughs> <laughs> So where do you where do you think the the need to um,
1: control? Uh, I mean, everybody obviously is looking for some type of control in our in our right. lives, but when it becomes unmanageable and begins to have negative side effects. Do you become aware that oh, oh, oh I should just let something go? I'm not the policeman of uh, comedy or you know entertainment. Uh, I should just let it be because I'm going to get caught in another tornado of
0: uh... well. Let me put uh, the thing about it is that well, there's two problems. There's one problem is that oh, there's more since, than two I've started, <laughs> since I've started, since I've started. Both therapy and also Prozac. Uh, I literally forget, and I have ADD and OCD, mm-hmm. and they go together.
1: Did you get uh, a discount on the second? Yes.
0: Days? <laughs> get get the Prozac and get uh, an Adderall half price today. Did I say the wrong word? Oh, oh, I'm the bad guy because I'm because I do endorsement commercials for Adderall. <laughs> So, no, no, but I I forget what I'm saying in the moment. So you you had just asked me a question. I completely forgot the question. And that's been one of my problems Uh, that I have to admit. You think of
1: a joke, you get sidetracked, and then you can't remember where you came from. Well, this was
0: worse. This was thinking of an actual, just a feeling. (laughs) It wasn't like, oh, I hope this goes over. I couldn't remember. You said something about, do you find that you... Do you Um, remember what you asked? Yeah,
1: about being controlling. You don't have ADD. Do you you find... I do take Adderall, uh, and that actually helps with my depression. Uh, oh, okay. Was, that I, you know, I
0: could see that. Really, I take Adderall really, too. Yeah, it was. Uh, it also helps me with his depression. <laughs> <laughs>
1: too soon? <laughs> uh, do, you to, how, yeah. how conscious are you as you begin to um, publicly? get into a Twitter war uh, with somebody? Or are, are, are you aware at all that sometimes you're making it worse by oh, not letting something go? There's no go? question
0: about it. But so much of the time, like I have my own podcast now. It's called Thought Spiral. Don't listen to I'm not trying to take over. Thank you. It had to be said. What, I didn't even know you had it. I'm the yeah. worst
1: researcher ever. What, what did you say? Thought the
0: underscore spiral. Because we, we, we didn't have the money to get yeah. the... Yeah. Um, someone beat us to it Yeah, it's Josh Elvis Weinstein Who is a very funny guy He used to be on uh, Mystery Science Theater And he wrote for Freaks and Geeks He's hilarious And we just talk, no guests We just talk And it's very hard yeah. And uh, so, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Okay um, So, one of the things I realized was that A problem with OCD people and ADD people Is I also overshare You know I overshare. Yeah, I struggle with that, too. Thinking I'm being honest. Yes. And it's not... You know, it's like not everybody needs to know that I'm on... I have ADD and OCD and I just started therapy and I'm the oldest Jew to get into... But everybody does know. Yeah. And so I'd like to change that a bit.
1: Do you see the... uh, Sometimes feeling like I have to uh, take this person down on Twitter or let them know that I think their movie is horrible or they're a bad actor. Do you feel... Where do you feel that that comes from? Do you feel that comes from uh, a disorder you have? And is that making an excuse for uh, behavior that some would would say,
0: uh, you know, that's... that's Well, yeah, let's say that you you can't just justify it by saying right. it's me. Well, since I've discovered what my problem was, which I didn't know my whole life, I had, I had OCD uh, in my early 20s, and then it kind of like faded. And so... Uh, since I didn't know what was going on, I, I forgot now. <laughs> Just get, lead me a little bit back towards it. I'm not high, folks. Yeah. Um, did, did, you, did you,
1: when you get into a, a, a beef
0: with somebody? Oh, okay, somebody, okay, right. Yes. So here's the thing my life is based on, almost everything in my life is based on fears of when I was a kid. So I was five feet. 4 or 11 through high school. You know, I shot up to 5, 5'5 and a half mm-hmm. to Senko de Mayo, as uh, Boris Hamilton says. But I was, I've always been deathly afraid of being beaten up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and when I was in middle school, or we used to call it junior high school, I actually, no, it was, it was fifth grade. This guy every day for like a week said he was going to beat me up in front of other people, and I would freak out because I knew my name. he This was my joke that I came up with where the guy goes, you want me to meet meet me at 3 o'clock? And I'm like, I'm not going to make an appointment to get my ass kicked. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting verbally abused at 2.45. (laughs) Can we push it back? (laughs) So that was one of my... That was always one of my big fears. But the other side of that... So I am extremely careful. I would never have done the Kathy Griffin error of, uh, gee, I wonder if decapitating the president, you know, president fictionally right there 'll be a problem so i 'm very I know what i don 't ever say anything, even though I want to because i 'm from New York, so you do hold back on I things. do hold back cause in New york will kick the shit out of you i can 't kick the shit out of anybody, even though i 've taken taekwondo i 'm f- scared of fighting i don 't want to fight, so i know i 'm not trying to whip it up but i 'm but I am angry in that moment, so in that moment, i guess i 'm trying to say something so it, it <laughs> sounds like
1: a battle between a desire to to be heard. And uh, a fear of confrontation.
0: Right. So that's the thing. Since I discovered this problem, it's, I've actually had a better relationship towards like my, quote, act. Because I used to, in my act, I would get into these things like, I need to take Jay Leno down. The very existence of the universe depends upon me telling people that Jimmy Fallon is superficial. It is my job right. as... A, a guy wrote an article about me, called me uh, um, an ombudsman, ombudsman, the ombudsman of comedy, and now I'm feeling because he was a New York Times writer. I can't remember, boom! That was just a five-second obsession, compulsive explosion. What happened? What happened just there? Uh, I started to worry about his name. Then I started to think about his name, and then I thought he just wrote a book about Letterman. I should remember his name. These are all thoughts I had in the last five seconds. Wow! So, just uh, to uh, cover up. So. Um, I used to think I had to justify my act and my act had to be I'm, a go- I'm for the good and I'm being the bad. But my comedy, humor has always been in my family forever and it is kind of like the most spiritual thing I can do. I really believe that. So I, because I wasn't willing to look at my own behavior like in my marriage or anywhere because it would be a tragedy if I admitted that I exhibited uh, these whatever unpleasant things are, you know. Like I got once on a podcast, I got an argument with this guy Josh Zepps, and it was like a, like I was really upset, and I got really upset, and then my wife was she got upset, but I was like, "Why are you?" Gonna-? You know, so I was kind of like, "Why?" And I went to therapy, and it's like, and, and and so my therapist said, "What?" And I said, "Well, I, I I may have been acted wrong or acted just-. he goes, is that the worst thing in the world really?" Well, for me, it is the worst thing in the world, but because I was so upset. I didn't want my wife to be upset with me. but She didn't even know what was going on. All she could hear was half of this argument mm-hmm. uh, and me raising my voice. Mm-hmm. I'm already thinking she's judged me. So, like, it's all these things get in the way of me actually looking at my behavior. So most of the things that people observe about me on Twitter mm-hmm. are in the past. That's the problem with it. It's not Oh, I, I'm happy. My friends, every one of my friends, close friends, has talked to me about uh, Jimmy Pardo. Mm. Well, he's not that close with him. But let's not... Let's not because. <laughs> no, Jimmy Pardo was like, what's ra- wrong with uh, what's wrong with you? And mm. a lot of people. And I thank people. I mean, I do thank people for doing that because these are people who, like, they know who I am, and they know what I believe, maybe, but they're just saying, this is the way it looks from the outside. Like, right.
1: It, it looks like... Um, some people probably think, oh, he's doing it for attention. You know, he's, he's using other people to, um, you know, because just because you think of a great joke that would be at somebody's expense doesn't
0: mean you should, you I don't should think do the, it. I think my problems generally aren't the jokes because now that I think about all the speeches I've done in Montreal and all that mm-hmm. stuff, it's very rarely that it gets into where... I'm making fun of Louis C.K., who I, you know, I say Louis C.K., his fashion sense is American Gervais. (laughs) So, but my anger, I have anger at Louis C.K. from personal things that we went through. So the more I'm able to admit that there's something going on that isn't just, I'm not here to save the world, it almost never... I I think
1: it's a personal decision for every person of uh, where, if if they're, you know, tweeting or, or whatever, what... What am I going to interject myself into? How much yes. am I going to uh, talk about a specific person as opposed to uh, an issue? So you talked about it coming from a place of anger with, uh, with Louis. Um, can you be more specific? Not, I, I don't expect you to divulge
0: specific yeah. things well, about I your relationship mind with don't because him. it's so mundane. It's okay. not like he uh, uh, punched me in the face mm-hmm. After we slept together, I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, no, he. Uh, at, we, we, there was something that happened at the club many years ago, and I really loved Louis, and I was. I wanted him to like me, and all this kind of thing. And then it was something happened at the club where they were had, like, d- double-booked us at this club, and so but I was complaining to him about it, and he was, like, being a little standoffish about it, so my whole thing was, oh, all he cares about is, uh, you know, he's not worried about my career, he's just worried about his career. So that's what it was, and the, the reason why I say that's what it was is because part of comedy is anger, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if I really don't like someone, it's fun to come up with many ways that I don't like them, mm. humorously. Yeah. <laughs> I heard so, somebody
1: say one time that, that uh, stand-up comedy is socially acceptable hostility. Yeah,
0: you know. I think that's true. Yeah. So, so I wanted to, you know, there were things that bothered me, like about Louis, what was bothering me, wasn't even so much Louis, it was just like, everyone was saying, he's the greatest stand-up comedy, uh, comic in the history of the world. Well, he's not the greatest. There are 20 or 30 comics who are at least as funny as Louis C.K. And when I say that, I mean I think they're funnier. <laughs> But if I didn't have the core feeling of not feeling good about our relationship, I probably would never have said that joke.
1: I got you. And what do you think was underneath that, that anger at him? Because, you know, there's that moment about the double booking, but obviously there's a feeling underneath it because it's usually more than about the double booking or somebody right. taking your parking space.
0: It's, I, think it's, I think, you know, without sounding like it's easy when you're – uh, you know, not in the middle of an argument to sound like you're a, a saint, but I think it's about maturing. See, I used to be like, if I find something, because I didn't, a lot of it has to do with my, I didn't know what my parents gonna, were going to do, so I had to kind of guess what they were going to do. So I got into that thing of, of oh, you know, trying to figure out what they wanted me to do to avoid the behavior, right? What, what was the fear that your parents would do? Uh, Nothing they weren't there Uh, mom don't listen to this (laughs) Janet and Robert if you listen to this tell mom Ixnet well she can't operate a a device (laughs) my mother was not there kind of because she was like uh, she was uh, uh, you know she had her own issues that she was dealing with but I didn't know because I was a kid and kids if you don't know you don't know You You nobody four years old says you know look she's going through something it's nothing (laughs) no This is not a reflection about me. Yeah. There's no reason for me to take this personally. My therapist says you take everything personally when you're that age. Although every time I recount a story, I'm always 5. So something's wrong with me. Like yeah. I don't understand the difference between 5 and 12 properly.
1: It's interesting that 5 keeps coming up because you were 5 feet 5 and five then feet that, five. That something happened at 5 and then right. there was another 5 my in career there. was uh,
0: over in 95. <laughs> Talk, talk more about
1: uh, what you remember from childhood, what you remember thinking or feeling your place in
0: the world and what you thought the future held. Well, one thing for sure that I had concluded was that I, because my parents were unpredictable, so I had to figure out what everybody was thinking before they were thinking it or as they were thinking it and then I could make my... Decision on how to deal, which usually meant running up to my room or avoiding the rest of the family. But the thing that I did that was bad about that was I'm almost always wrong now when, like, especially with my wife. It's like she'll start to say something. For some reason... I'm jumping in, giving the last part. Of the, what am I trying to prove that I know who the secretary of the interior is?
1: <laughs>
0: and then she's, I'm not talking about the secretary there. Well, in case you were, don't think I didn't know that name. So I'm so always, brain is- always wrong. I'm almost always wrong.
1: So your, your brain, is, you're putting a lot of mental energy into your crystal ball, which is based in fears. Um, and so then your actions come as a result of all this new information coming in and being filtered through your version of what you think the future is going to be based on how these people are going to react.
0: And also a system that was worked and necessary for me when I was four because I can – you, Can you be specific
1: about how it worked and how your like par- my parents, parents would be unpredictable? They
0: would be, okay, so like if my parents say hey, – if you break something, my parents were antique collectors. Mm-hmm. All right, you do the math. No, so I was like, <laughs> if you break something, we don't care. Right? You just, as long as you tell us, why did you break? Uh, well, you said it doesn't matter. Well, yes, but if you hadn't thinking, uh, blah 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 blah, you wouldn't have bumbled. So it's like, any there were no rules. What my life didn't have was discipline. Like my parents were not disciplined. They were like. You, we didn't know when dinner was going to be. It was always going to be early. But th- why are they calling at dinner? Was something we so often there was heard. not much structure in your life. Well, there was structure mm-hmm. that we structured ourselves. Kind of. All the kids were good at. I made my own food. I did all this type of thing. But there was the thing. I, I used to think I hated r- routines and things. But my sister says, as a teacher and like a principal, that kids want they want uh, structure. Yeah. I didn't have any of that yeah. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> Andy, Andy was f- what? fake crying <laughs> Yeah um, But you would also This could be an observation You could make After watching any of my acting <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, What would you be best known for? Uh, everybody yeah. loves Randy. That's the problem <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, there's two things I like to say that I'm known for. No. Uh, Raymond, I was a recurring character. How many episodes? 29 episodes from 1996 to 2004. And then the other thing is, uh, that, which I'm, I guess I'm most proud of in a way, is I did recurring pieces for Letterman uh, for that's years. It. Yeah, and that that's it. my favorite thing I did. Yeah, but I loved Raymond too. Yeah. I'm available for more sitcom work. <laughs> a lot of these people here are like, I, he can't probably take the work. He's so busy. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, let's go back
1: to the <clears throat> the unpredictability and the the. Um, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you were five or whatever age, what would you what would you say? To I that mean, kid? I
0: would tell myself that it was well, you know, uh, it's not you. These people are, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would try to soothe my. See, like a lot of things, I find out from OCD. Is that I'm trying? You're trying to soothe yourself. Yeah. So uh, you're trying to get. And and when I was with my therapist one day, and I said, I said to her, "Why am I doing it? Why do I keep it?" She goes, "You have unless this, you know, she goes, unless this hurts for you to hear." He goes, "You have an illness." And, and you know, while I don't think the illness metaphor works in every way with OCD. It gets me out of the... Why did I do that? Why was I doing that? Like, like People with ADD have bad impulse control. They, have, they, they make bad decisions over and over and over again. You can only drive yourself so crazy with why. OCD goes back in my family forever. Mm-hmm. And so the thinking is that it's just a fight, flight, or freeze mm-hmm. uh, reaction that no longer applies to your life now. So, so when I remember... that that there's an illness component to it, I can uh, can both look at the behavior and let myself off the hook, not meaning I'm never going to have to worry about adjusting my behavior, but just getting this whole thing of the world is black and white, you're a bad person, which I think was my core belief. And so anytime anything happens in life, I need to both look at my behavior and also realize it's not the end of the world. So... I can't live if I think the stuff I did on Twitter yesterday defines me. But the truth is that it doesn't define me, you know? If it does define me, it's because I've let it define me. I mean, certainly, like that woman who tweeted that thing about going to Africa, I forget what she was, like a PR person. And she goes, well, I don't have to worry about AIDS because I'm white or something like that. By the time she landed in Africa, she'd lost her job. You know, I, I, I understand that things can happen to you right. that are and, – and horrible things like that happen to Leslie Jones on Twitter where you have these right, right-wing, uh, uh, all right people and all that stuff. But I – to feel to go on as a person, I cannot base it on – Trying to fix all the stuff I did yesterday because that's what I've normally done.
1: And and, uh, I think a lot of times people uh, will uh, misconstrue. Is that a word? Um, It is.
0: If you're you're misconstruing something, yes. uh, (laughs) They will. I'm up in your grill, baby. (laughs) They will
1: misconstrue somebody uh, somebody's bad behavior. with them not uh, caring that they did something and exactly when in reality it 's you should be aware of it, you should try to learn from it, look at you know what might have triggered me, so if that happens in another instance, right. I can react differently, but the important thing is, like you said, to not beat yourself up because you did that, to have some forgiveness and some gentle gentleness with yourself, because it is an illness, but not to say I have an illness as a carte blanche, uh, I don't have any responsibility for, for what I do. Uh, I think then the responsibility just becomes I need to put in a good effort to manage this behavior, well, to be aware of it and right. to see how I can get better at managing
0: it. Or like, say say it's uh, between me and my wife, I, you know, when I was really addicted to Twitter or or, you know, really in ADD mode, you know, she'd say something to me, and I'd say, what'd you say? And then she'd say it again. Well, now, after all these years, she's slightly annoyed by it, you know? Yeah. So I, I can both realize I'm, it's not the end of the world that I'm doing it, but I can also realize that it affects pe- my See, because what I was trying to do was, was control people. Because mm. I felt that my happiness, my... Uh, um, worth as a person was based on the perceptions of, of society or perceptions. And, uh, I forgot what I'm saying.
1: So, so your, your sense of safety in the world was how people
0: viewed you. Oh, right. So I would always try to try to adjust to see either convince them that it went down a way that was, I wasn't doing what they said that I was doing right. or, uh, but ultimately, because I, you, it's the false belief that the only way to get to get better is to control the other people, or the only way <laughs> to, to survive is to control, and you literally cannot control the other people, and it, it, it
1: becomes the very thing you wanted to avoid. Right, the very thing. It's like uh, it, it's crazy yeah. how self-fulfilling trying to control other people will be. Whatever it is you fear will happen. That you think you need to control them. That is what will happen when you try to control them.
0: Yeah, it's like realizing you're narcissistic. Yeah. I'm narcissistic. What did you but hear?
1: Not... What's that? You said you're narcissistic. What did you hear? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I'm, tr- uh, I'm Trump. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't mean and it doesn't mean it's good, and it doesn't mean that it's uh, ultimately so bad that I should be killed for it. See, because. I'm talking about things in therapy. I don't even remember these things, but like when I was like four years old, I didn't know where my parents were for like a second at Jones Beach, Mm -hmm. you know. And all of a sudden, I just went crazy in terms of fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. So I think on some level, I didn't feel confident about them taking care of me, and so that's what you're trying to. That's what I'm trying to deal with in therapy is to. And this is a really weird thing. It's like, what is the feeling you're having? Like, I have, like, if I'm heating up food, you know, to eat, I go, well, all of a sudden I get depressed. I go, oh, it's like... And now I examine, are you really depressed about that? It's almost always something else going on.
1: Was it because you had to cook for yourself yeah. as a kid?
0: No, it was because it's something I'm associating something with a smell or a color or an experience, and I am accepting it within myself to take me down a bit, you know? It's like I just decide. of course heating up food is annoying. No, it's not annoying, you know? It's like I've never done more. I've never been more successful, and not successful career-wise, but just getting down here. You said get down here by 3.15 to 3.30. I got here at 3.30. It's a miracle that I was here a half hour before a show because I have made the focus of being on time uh, not to kill myself because that's one of my problems is being yelled at for being late but trying to get out of all these different things that are happening to you what's the main thing that you need to do especially for OCD people oh, yeah. and ADD people like, there's one book called, it's called uh, Delivered from Distraction mm-hmm. it's really a great book and he uh, says like, for example I'm bad at filling out contracts with, with my manager it takes me 4 or 5 days longer you go why? And I know that it's me uh, um, agonizing. So like in the book, they go, if you can uh, delegate those things, uh, that's great. So I asked Bruce, do you mind, you know, can you sign what you used to do anyway? And now he says, but I imagine, but uh, the old days, I wouldn't even ask
1: but you for be, the thing. You'd be ashamed or you, would, would, you wouldn't even realize that was an option? No,
0: because what I tended to do was get angry. Why is he not signing my paperwork for me? You know, he should be signing my paperwork for me because I'm afraid of asking for it because I don't think that's one of my biggest problems is confront actual confrontations of things that are bothering me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to go from like, oh, you know, I'm a nice person and then Mm -hmm. I would get like upset. So I said to him, you know, can you do this? He said, no problem. So again, my assumption of how he would react was wrong. And, but regardless, even if he, did, if he said, no, I'm not signing it, it wouldn't have mattered. The hell I've put myself, not hell, real hell, not like Holocaust hell, war, but I have a, a relatives. A warm room.
1: Let's call it a warm war room. War room. Yeah, a little stuffy. A little stuffy. Yeah.
0: The, the pain I put myself through on the uh, assumptions, which has always been I have to cajole or connive. Mm-hmm. I can't possibly be honest. Anything that starts with C? <laughs> Except creative. Uh, How's my sweaty upper lip look? What am I worried about? It's, it's good. I'm worried it's that good. you won't rebook me for another problem. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, as,
1: as you've begun to understand what has been happening to you all your life and what you've been using to soothe yourself, have you found uh, a, a sense of freedom and optimism about yeah, things. I talk, have. Can you talk about what, as you begin to develop these tools and insight on yourself, if you can think of any slices of life that you can share I, with us where I your really, life is I really getting better? I really can.
0: I really can. And, and, and in fact, I can express this from one of my biggest problems on Twitter, and I lost a lot of friendship. I'm, I'm not kidding. I lost about lot oh, tw- oh, you don't have to convince Friends me. Friends t- <laughs> would Friends with 20 comics. You have, I used to have
1: a fear that, that you would turn on me and, and you would publicly I, humiliate me.
0: That w- I'm not being, doing this to be funny. Maybe I couldn't have heard that five years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would have turned that into, why is Paul all over me for the things? But, you know... Because and, and, uh, well, you would have gone right to your fear of
1: something happening instead of just really taking it in. and Right.
0: Right. So... Um,
1: Welcome so give this. me a slice of, of what oh, it's okay, like. So, as you... okay,
0: one of my biggest arguments online, and I'm not even saying this now to say I don't believe – I believe 100% what my point of view is on this. And, but I'm learning to express it in a way that because I'm so scared, the fear is that these – other, like my dad was kind of an atheist, but he was a nicer atheist but my, other than a lot of the new ones. But he, this fear <laughs> – that he knows something more than me, he would argue with me he didn 't even know he was belittling me in the argument, you know mm-hmm. um, and I love my dad I mean my dad passed away, and it 's like my hero. And, but i 'm dealing with all these things about like so a lot of these arguments is because i don't i 'm not confident enough in my own bel- not even called belief system, but I believe that if you uh, hate someone based on their religion, just based on their religion, that's like the worst thing you can, it's like it goes against the basis of this country. It's like the, the, uh, the First Amendment, or whatever the amendment that covers it, it's freedom, for, we wanted the freedom to practice or observe any religion here, not a specific religion. That was the whole point of it. And my mother, who at, when I was 16 became a Quaker, she has told me amazing things about how the Quakers uh, from Amsterdam wrote letters to the to us in the New World here about how religious freedom is more important than anything else. And in my lifetime, we've gotten to this thing where very there's been these mean atheists, and then there's been this whole just Islamophobic movement. And so I would get into these horrible arguments online because. I, and I still am angry about people hating people mm. like Bill Maher He doesn't know anything about Islam. Mm. And you know, it was like people have said to me that Quaker, my mother being a Quaker, is bad. It's bad. It's like a, it's 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 objectively bad. And I know because I've experienced it that it is not bad. Mm. It's good, you know. And she, many she uh, doesn't get tired of the oatmeal. <laughs> how how do I not do that? How do I not do that? Come on. That's There's the best, no way. That's the best spin I've heard on that one. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: because people ultimately mix up shakers with Quakers. and You know, the thing is, Quakers were called Quakers because when they would be going into these like moments of silence, they would make, sometimes shake. Mm-hmm. They liked it. The, the, they liked that part of it. So they weren't even embarrassed to be called Quaker. Quakers. Yeah. But... When you're talking like a good friends of mine, this is where it's mi- misleading Twitter. Like it used to be, it's easy if it's a robot. I shouldn't be engaging. Why am I? But if it's a friend of mine I've had for many many years, who's now become an asshole atheist, mm-hmm. you know, and who's telling you, me that you, my mother is, you know, oh she's not a bad person, but what she believes is bad. But well, she doesn't even believe anything. It's, right. it's, it's just a it's a group of people get together and be quiet. Right. <laughs> That's all it is. So it's my audience. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But they don't get together. They stay in their bed. Exactly. Um, But when you say asshole atheist, you don't mean this person's an asshole because they're an atheist. You mean in that they try to force their atheism on on other people.
0: Well, there's a continuum to it. I mean, I really do think that the people...
1: I mean I've said million... Because judging somebody for being an atheist is to me is every bit as bad as judging somebody for
0: believing a religion. Yeah, but before before you and I clap, believe in God. Before yeah. you clap, yeah. realize that I have nothing against atheism. In fact, I have a joke in my act mm-hmm. that was like uh, to me an atheist used to be just someone who looked depressed at a picnic. You know what I mean? <laughs> Most of my friends are atheists. My father's an atheist. It's that's not the problem. It's the atheists who say you're an idiot for believing anything because they these people as Karen Armstrong who's a great person to read on this she says like these people wouldn't the, the the amount they know about religion could fit on the back of a postage stamp they don't know about these people don't know about my mother being a Quaker that's why I was getting so angry at you're, you're looking up online I just found out that the Quakerism is based on uh, uh, Abrahamic religion and that some Quakers were uh, owned slaves some Quakers own slaves Many people owned slaves, but the Quakers were famous for being against slavery. Right. You know, so it's it's just. You're so trying- so I'm not against. So the point is, I'm not against atheists, and and I actually, I really believe that most people say when they say they're atheists, they basically mean they're rejecting the formal training or the you know the Bible as as being real, which I rejected when I was in, in in third grade. So the spiritual part of me is that I think there's this whole side of life that you cannot just think through. And atheism is not science. There's no there's no science based on atheism, and the atheism based on you got to prove to me whatever it is that you believe, even if you're saying it's not a belief that it exists like a you know like a guy with a shirt on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you can produce in this room before I have any interest. And I was like, these guys like even when they're like uh, Tyson is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Tyson or these guys, they sound like they've never. Never dropped acid or never, you know, whatever we did, or I'm speaking for myself, those were, those were spiritual experiences. When you're dancing to music and you're getting high, mm-hmm. and of course you could have a problem with it later in life, but the point is, the point is, that is that's what I mean by spiritual. Something and there's s- that side to the universe, yeah. and there's also another side. But you can't tell me the spiritual side doesn't exist. Because yeah. based on your theory of why people have a spiritual yeah. side,
1: well, well, you're you're uh, <laughs> Andy's taking a <laughs> bow now. <laughs>
0: but no, I just really want to be honest I have absolutely nothing against against athe- an atheist who isn't telling me I'm an asshole
1: yes. or, or other people are assholes. How about people who are bored in church? <laughs> That's the you thing you said. It's a continuum, right? Well, it be atheists? incredibly would never consider going to church, bored in church, go to church out of guilt, right. love church, shut the fuck up.
0: Yeah. This is the irony if I knew what that word meant. I never thought, if you told me when I was a kid I would be defending organized religion, I would have thought you were crazy because there's so many, I couldn't spend, you know, like I used to say, uh, what, say how can Jews be self-hating? Mm-hmm. i say, spend a day at the temple where I grew up and make your own decision. You know, it's like, obviously, I am not. Uh, I'm culturally Jewish, right. but I don't. I'm, you know, I'm. I'm not Simi saris I don't have trouble going to sleep the night before Simi <laughs> <laughs> Like you would with Christmas, which is the greatest holiday ever. Right.
1: Let's let's get uh, back let's get to a, 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 a slice, a moment of uh, you beginning to to feel the ability to navigate with this new knowledge and maybe some tools to soothe yourself in a way other than uh, going into OCD or predicting the future. Oh, like things and I've come and, up and, with? Yeah, or oh. moments that you've experienced where you're like, wow, uh, you know, five years ago I would have re- reacted this way, but now I reacted this way. I'm, I'm growing, I'm changing. Do you yeah, have any moments you can share with yeah, us? I'll
0: give you just one thing. It sounds mundane, but like I've always been into... Uh, alternative comic books like Daniel mm. Klaus and Harvey Picar and all these uh, great people and they bring me so Joe much, Sacco, he's Joe Sacco is Great Palestine, yeah. right? Isn't that yeah. His? Yeah. you they this thing of like I've got to the point in my life where I couldn't read that much anymore. Mm. Like I really can't. It's like it's part of the A D D thing. Mm. I, I can read when I read mm. and I can retain, but I don't have the desire. I'm not, never gonna read these books I've claimed to have read already. So, (laughs) so, um, it's like, uh, but these graphic novels, I know that's the wrong word. No one likes the words that are used for it. Graphic memoirs, however you want to define pictures and words together, it is endlessly brings me joy. Mm. But it's, but I have to remember to not, to get offline, get off somewhere and take one of those books Mm. and allow my, but I would... Five years ago, I go, I gotta go, I I gotta get successful, I gotta make sure I'm doing this, I'm sure doing that. I see. My therapist says, You and your wife should go out to the movies. You and your wife, it's like, it sounds like the most, like, how aren't you already doing that? But you're not already doing that.
1: Go go to the movies, I gotta get on getting in a movie.
0: That's exactly the entire thing. And also, I race around all the time, racing around, and I'm not saving any time. In other words, like, I want to clear out my closet. Oh, I can't clear my closet. The problem is the storage unit has to go. Well, the storage unit's not going to go until you allow yourself to sit in the closet for a couple of hours. And I know this is true because I'm an older man now, and I know that I have not reached any more success. I've not been successful at one bit more by hating myself, uh, yelling at myself, rushing, uh, watching... Cable news for thirty hours a day.
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing will uh, ensure dep- depression like that. It's really hard to to find a balance between not depressing yourself and not uh, and shirking your duty as a citizen. Uh, at least these days, it's it's really hard because I get depressed after thirty seconds of uh, you know f- reading or watching what's what's going on, uh, but. I don't want to be a bad citizen and I don't know where that well, where think, that line is. Well, so I just consider myself a bad person.
0: Yeah, see, I think that's that's not good either because like no. I really relate to the part of Buddhism where it's like not so much that you don't it's not so much that you don't uh, enjoy the highs or enjoy the lows, but that you kind of like have an equanimity towards everything that's coming at you. Yeah. So you don't get that depressed, you don't get that happy, or or you know I'm not saying you don't want to have the moments of uh, of euphoria, but you shouldn't, it's not helping the world for me to be watching MSNBC for 20 hours and screaming. That's not helping either. I mean, I know that going out to an actual event wouldn't help, but, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, going out to an event, it's like when I I marched against the Vietnam War, that little march I did when I was 13 years old, Did that change the world? Well, it did for me because I remember it all the time. So it's like you don't think. You think that you have to be vigilant and you have to be checking out every disaster. But that's not good for us. It is up to us
1: to vote and to speak our minds but not to try to control other people through um, humiliating them, um, degrading them, et cetera, et cetera. That's
0: true. Because there used to be this thing in psychology, whatever, like, you know, where's the hostility coming from, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that was also just a way of keeping people from dealing, from rising up, you know, hey, right. don't get so hostile. So sometimes those strong opinions, you don't, you don't want there to be a world where there's no strong opinions. But so for me, it's all balance. Right. It's all like, because I, I was into that self righteous, I'm changing the world with my comedy, that's not a good place to be in. But right. I don't think I'll ever be. I don't think I'll ever not look at something and make a sn- snarky right. comment about right. it. And and by the way just to clarify I'm not
1: saying that there's never a need for armed resistance or right. overthrowing things yeah. or whatever you know there obviously it's a, a you know what continuum. I'm saying? Yeah, I know yeah what you're it's, saying. A, it's a continuum. I'm just talking about people that all of a sudden their lives become a tornado of attacking and that def- was me. defending, and they're forgetting what the the primary cause is. You know, Martin so- Luther King never had to um, you know uh, denigrate uh, anybody or belittle anybody, and he changed the world in you know, right. incredible
0: ways. Right, and yet yes. there are people who I can't stand online who are saying. I don't like that he was the, – the part of him that was religious was him assuming the habits of his of masters. You know what I mean? They won't even allow the yeah. spiritual side to him. The, one of the things that comforts me when I
1: start to get upset at the direction that the world is heading in and I then get into a place of fear of, oh, my God, uh, you know, I got to move to Canada. Nobody's ever going to love me in Canada, so I'll never become a full <laughs> citizen. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I I wish I was kidding. I wish I was kidding. Uh, I try to remember that everything in the universe has an opposing force. And to think that we should be any different um, is, is lunacy. I don't think you're ever going to get to a point where there isn't an opposing faction. So the question is, how do we live with people that disagree with us in a way that is principled, um, and we don't become somebody that, that we dislike. Right. Um, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you be a good citizen and also be a good
0: uh, person? I and think that's the struggle for I, think me. It's situ- I think it's situational, too. And it's like, uh, you know, when these people online say, you, oh, you, should, they're, they're the, you can't call Trump. Show me how Trump is a racist, right? Show me, and you go, well, he was a birther. And they are well, that's not racism. It's like that, when people you're wasting, get into yeah, this Yeah, you're like, wasting your time. That person's yeah. already made their no, mind No, I'm up. not even talking about that. Yeah. I know about the thing where the actual belief that it's not racism or oh, the actual right. belief that it's something else. Right. To me, uh, is like not to be able to say the truth. Sometimes it's important to say the truth and sometimes it's important to let it go. So, for example, if you're a white guy and you go, look – this Black Lives Matter thing, I mean, you know, we all have troubles, but uh, calm down. You know, you're not relating to what it would be like. I, I have never been a, a, a black person driving around and getting stopped, mm. right? So when white people go, look, there's no more racism, you know, that's just a whole school of, yeah. of nonsense, yeah. right? Yeah, I think we all We're agree. not arguing, are we? <laughs> We're agreeing to agree to f- check it out a, another time. See, now, I just want to tell you that this I do on a certain level for this entire time without getting it to be Richard Lewis proportions because he's one of my heroes, but I do kind of hate myself all along the interview. Really? I mean, in a low level, it's a low level, but it's a part of myself that says, you better, you're dominating, you, you're not listening to the person, you're not doing this. So, and regardless of what the truth was, you could say, oh, I did feel that way. Or I didn't feel that way. The answer is the addressing that core feeling. I used to not address that feeling and just spend my whole life trying to make everyone like me. Yeah. By hating them intensely. Yes. <laughs>
1: well, if you, if you practice hating yourself enough, eventually you'll get good enough to hate other people. That's the message I give kids. That's I'm sure. <laughs> practice. Practice, practice. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Kindler.
0: Thank you.
1: I love you, man. I love you too. I love you. Thank you guys so much for coming out and uh, supporting the show and supporting LA Podfest. I sure do love me some, Andy Kindler. Uh, I want to tell you guys about RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. And in the interest of full transparency, all of the core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the package, no BS. Uh, They have 11 flavor varieties, all of which are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, free free of any added sugar, artificial color or flavors, preservatives or fillers. And you can actually taste the cacao, the, the fruit, the spices like sea salt, i love the chocolate sea salt one i think that's my favorite flavor that they have although the chocolate peanut butter is really good too and the texture of their bars it, it, it's I don't, I, silky is the best word you have to try it so whether you like sweet or savory chocolate or fruit flavors there's an rx bar for you uh for 25 percent off your first order visit rxbar.com slash mental and enter the promo code mental at checkout that's rxbar.com slash mental and then fill in the promo code mental for 25 percent off your first order this is a body shame survey uh, we haven't done those in a while and this is filled out by, why, why am i whistling all of a sudden um this is filled out by warm tape and uh she writes uh, to the question, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? She writes, I've had people close to me who couldn't walk or had difficulty walking without pain. I like that my legs function well and that I can walk without pain. I don't like all the scars on my arms. I used to be a cutter. They'll never go away. In my whole life, people are going to be making judgments based off of them i have to wear long sleeves during job interviews and i'm always afraid they'll fire me after they find out about the scars or my hiding them whenever i have have to see a doctor or a nurse they ask about my scars even if it's totally irrelevant to the situation i once went to get a pap and had the nurse ask me about my arms my first thought was unless i have scars on my vagina how is this any of your business Same thing happened when I went to see a doctor about a back spasm. These are scars, not cuts, no recent activity to concern a doctor. I've thought about saving up for laser surgery, but I don't want to erase my past. The scars are are a reminder of how tough I am and how far I've come. I don't think self-harmers should have to hide. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, it's funny when we're in that place where we're so afraid people are going to judge us, we forget that everybody has something that they're struggling with. And most everybody is walking around completely consumed with negative thoughts about themselves or, uh, uh you know, grandiose thoughts about themselves. This is an awful moment filled out by uh, depression as a punchline. And they write the semester after my friend died, I experienced crippling soul-sucking depression and I completely screwed up my academics I'm a psych major and at the time I was enrolled in a class on subjective well-being or the scientific study of happiness I literally failed happiness class (laughs) thank you for that this is uh, struggling a sentence balsamic vinegar I enjoy you on my salad uh, writes about her depression. Uh, I feel numb for days, then cry when I drop a grape. <laughs> oh, that is perfect. That is perfect. I remember breaking down and crying one time because I couldn't find a parking space. <laughs> I was so angry. I was just beating my, beating my hand on the s- steering wheel, angry at this neighborhood because it's just overcrowded and just screaming that the people that live there are all lemmings. <laughs> oh, complete, Completely unaware that uh, the fact that I was, uh, at that point, an untreated alcoholic might have had something to do with my anger and sadness. Um, Maureen fills out an awfulsome moment, and um, I'm just going to condense it a little bit. But uh, she wasn't able to get her med refilled because uh, she would kind of spaced out and um wasn't able to get to the pharmacy because of her work schedule so she ran out of her ssris and uh, she was feeling the side effects of going through too fast of a withdrawal so she was experiencing nausea headaches hot flashes Uh, she writes the next few days were an absolute nightmare but i was able to get a friend to pick up my medication for me so i was eventually back to my average level of daily dysfunction i was of course miserable but one thing i fondly look back on in retrospect was some of the absolute absolutely ridiculous stuff that reduced me to tears which i thought i'd share one my birthday Two, my best friend's birthday. Three, a car commercial that used Sweet Caroline, which we sang at my alma mater. Four, my best friend's birthday again. Five, my nails were too long. Six, the litter box was dirty. Seven, we only had yellow pop popsicles left and I wanted red ones. Eight, Usain Bolt finished third in his last race. Nine, I felt guilty for calling my cat mean names. 10. I was crying so loudly about being mean to the cat that the cat was scared, which made me cry again. 11. I was so thankful that a friend had come to stay with me. This one involved getting snot all over that friend's sweater. And 12. My favorite shorts were in the laundry. Oh my God. I love it, too, when, when you go from crying to seeing something ridiculous about it, and then you're laughing. Uh, Stanley writes about his depression. It feels like I'm running a marathon in slow motion, and I'm the only one who notices I'm falling behind. About his anxiety, it feels like I have a thousand bees under my skin, all buzzing at once. Wow, that is uh, that is so uh, that is so easy and horrible to picture. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by scared shitless and their gender fluid. And they were I, I had terrible constipation as a kid. It lasted for years, and no one ever figured out why. I would poop maybe twice a week, and it would usually take me a half. An hour to an hour. I generally avoided pooping anywhere that wasn't my home bathroom because of this. On one awful day in first grade, I decided to attempt the impossible. I remember the teacher had everyone in my class line up to use the bathroom that was inside our classroom. One by one, kids went in, peed, and left. I remember standing in line feeling like I might have to risk it and poop before I got home. I debated whether or not it was worth taking a humiliating long time while half the class waited right outside. When it was my turn, I initially felt like it wouldn't take too long, so I started to go. But it wasn't working. I had felt like I would soil myself any minute if I didn't try, but this was like trying to pass a tennis ball. Eventually, the rest of the kids in line started to get upset and started knocking on the door. This did not help. It seemed like I would just have to call it quits and hope for the best. But then the door opened. To make a terrible situation even more awkwardly humiliating, my outfit was a one-piece thing that zipped up in the back. In order to go to the bathroom, I basically had to completely undress. So there I was, sitting naked and constipated on the toilet in front of the rest of my first grade class. Stunned, awkward silence. A few moments later, a teacher hurriedly closed the door and asked if I was okay. I started to get dressed right away, but my outfit was really hard to zip up on my own. It took me a while to move the zipper up at all, which caused even more agitation and concern. I ended up having to walk out defeated, with my back still exposed, to get the teacher to zip me back up. On top of failing to shit, I had also failed to dress myself. The whole thing was pretty mortifying at the time, but these days I look back and think it is hilarious. Oh my god oh thank you for that thank you for that um is there any reason to ever wear a one piece or a jumpsuit honestly uh maybe powder skiing so it doesn't get down into your uh, pants uh jimbo writes about his generalized anxiety disorder when someone asks you what triggers your anxiety and you ask them if they have to be anywhere in the next three hours. Uh, In a snapshot from his life, he writes, Someone asked me what makes my anxiety tolerable, and all I could think of was that feeling when you realize you're drunk. That sweet, sweet feeling. I don't miss it, actually. Um, This is an awfulsome moment filled out by bipolar bear." and uh, she writes about a month into my new job i was psychotic and depressed and wound up in the hospital i was out of town for work the week prior to my hospitalization but had promised friends that once i returned i would go to the hospital and get assessed by the time that week ended i was falling apart And if you've ever been hospitalized you probably know that you tend to get worse the first few days there because inpatient is a pretty depressing place On my second day, two of my good friends came and visited me and I think I probably looked like the life had been sucked out of me. But these friends knew something to bring that would cheer me up. Half a gallon of whole milk. I love milk and it's always been something to laugh about, so these dear friends brought me some good milk rather than the horrible stuff in the cardboard cartons. Now I was there for my bipolar disorder, but the hospital was convinced I was anorexic too. It does run in my family. Because I was refusing to eat. So the doctors were pleased I was consuming some calories. And luckily, drinking a half gallon of whole milk is like 400 calories. So my friend who visited me also worked at the hospital and requested that they get whole milk served with all of my meals. After the visiting hour was over, the goodbyes were really hard and I still felt lifeless. And the next morning when I was refusing to get out of bed, there was one thing that motivated me to crawl out. There was a tall glass of whole milk waiting for me. Not only do I love milk, but it was also a reminder of my friends really caring for me. Every time she visited me, she brought me more milk and convinced the hospital to let me keep the extras after visiting ended, even though that's against the rules. The hospital was rough and visiting hours are always bittersweet, but my friend bringing me my milk and ensuring I had at least 300 calories a day from the milk alone Actually, did help me get better. Oh my God! It seems like that should be from the the Milk Council. Um, some of the best awfulsome moments uh, that you guys share are ones that uh, come when people are hospitalized. Um, Mindful Mess shares about being a sex crime victim. Um like a faulty product that has become devoid of any use but also can't be returned that's uh that is a profound one um she also struggles with um, dermatillomania and uh she writes dermatillomania for me manifests itself in not only compulsively scratching and squeezing my face and shoulders in my quest for hol- the holy spot but also in scratching my scalp and chewing my lip in the inside of my cheeks. This looks particularly stupid, and I've noticed that I'm getting what looks like a chain smoker's wrinkle above my upper lip from this constant grimacing. I recently went on a day day out with my family, and my sister took a lot of pictures, and on about 80% of them, I was pulling my typical side-kiss-chewing-myself-up face, and it's so embarrassing. My parents and friends who know will remind me to stop doing that or slap my hand away, but that does nothing but increase my shame and anxiety. What's worse, my younger sister has copied the whole lip-biting, cheap-chewing habit, and so I can add the feeling of being deeply sorry into the mixture. The only funny thing must be to see us both together when we're on the tram or the supermarket queue. Two girls eagerly chewing their own faces. Thank you for sharing that. Isn't it weird sometimes how just a passing stranger can be more aware of what's going on with us in a moment than than we are? Somebody that we've never even met, somebody that doesn't even know our name can sometimes see an issue that we may never even realize that we're battling. Um, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by J.G. And uh, J.G. is gender fluid. And they write, My therapist uh, wanted to send me to group social anxiety workshop sessions, but she couldn't, as they had been canceled due to low attendance. (laughs) That's like a joke. Uh, Sally Boy, who is a uh, trans male, writes about... uh, Let's see... Gives us a snapshot from his life. Uh, He struggles with depression, OCD, a bunch of other stuff, but a snapshot from his life that highlights uh, his life. No, mom, I am not overreacting when I'm uncomfortable with you texting while driving 80 in a 45 while you're drunk. Holy fuck. (laughs) Melissa C. writes about her depression. Oh, this one is so good. Depression feels like being alone forever. That is t-shirt worthy. And and I'm sure that'd be a big seller. Uh, About PTSD, I am being followed by everyone who hurt me. Wow, those are really good. Thank you for that, Melissa. That's sometimes what... You know, I think the reason that I started that struggle in a sentence survey is sometimes the gasoline on the fire is that you can't find the words to accurately express your anxiety or your depression, your compulsive behavior, or, you know, whatever it is that you're going through. Uh, this is a shame and secret survey uh, filled out by a gender fluid person uh, who calls himself Suma, And... They are pansexual in their 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, they were the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, as a kid slash teen, I was sexually abused by my grandfather, uncle, and a boyfriend. I felt okay about it, like it gave me survival skills. I was proud of my resilience. I was productive, had multiple jobs, projects, lots of friends. Then three year, years ago, I was violently raped by a work client that took all of my strength and will from me. Now I spend most days in bed, exhausted from insomnia and nightmares. I feel like there's no escape. I'm terrified those years in my early 20s were my one chance to live and be happy, and now it's gone. Um, they've also been physically abused and emotionally abused. Uh, From the age of five, my father would often tell me that I was a whore. It was my fault he was an alcoholic and that one day he will kill me, my mother, and himself and it would be my fault. My mom used to bundle us kids up into the car at night to sleep. She'd go park outside a 24-hour convenience store so there would at least be a witness if he found us and something happened. I always kept a knife on me in case I needed it. Any positive experiences with the people who abused you? My father was depressed and had an abusive childhood himself. He was struggling, and I wish he could have gotten the help he needed. Darkest thoughts. I don't know how awful the violence has to be before somebody will care or notice. So far, it hasn't been enough. Darkest secrets. When I was five, I gave my brother, then ten blowjob but i don't consider that time abuse at the time he was also being sexually abused by our neighbor and i think we were both just fucked up kids i forgive him sexual fantasy is most powerful to you one i'm a child and being molested by an older man but he soothes me and tells me it's going to be okay and i'm not scared two i'm uh i'm fucked while i'm asleep and i don't wake up i'm oblivious to it three I give great head. He blows on my face, slaps me, and leaves. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? Uh, My mom told me she got an abortion after me because she couldn't bring another child into a violent home. I want to ask her why it was good enough for me. Wow. This is one of the heavier surveys I've read in a while. What, if anything, do you wish for? Peace. I don't know. What that feels like, but fuck, all I want is to know what peace feels like. Have you shared these things with others? I went to a psychiatrist and got so distraught I vomited into the bin in his office. He said that I'm weak and dramatic and really should be able to cope better. I never went back. That motherfucker should be run out of town. He should have his license revoked, and he should be fucking. I'm I'm never advocate for shaming people, but. I want to see that motherfucker shamed in your fucking moment of need that guy wounds you again how do you feel after writing these things down it forced me to cry I feel relieved is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences you are allowed to be a fuck up your grief your perspective your craziness is a knowledge i value you have so much to offer your trauma included and i hope you hear that because your all of these horrible things that you've been through there are other people who have experienced these and they think that they're alone And if you can ever connect with another survivor, I think it could be really healing for you. Um, I don't know what would happen, but I think it's better than isolating. At least give it a shot because you're worth it. And there are good people in the world. Thank you so much for for, um, for sharing all of that really really painful stuff and um, I just hope you can take your own advice and um, find the support that you that you deserve. This is a happy moment filled out by OCD Potato, and uh, she writes, I've been going through some difficult stuff lately, and it's left me feeling pretty alone. Just Just when things were on track and I'd made tremendous progress, my mental illness overwhelmed me once more to the point that a small thing became an atom bomb in my future. And yet this time I didn't fully succumb to my urges. I didn't let myself burn everything down. I took time to sit with the emotions and let them be there despite the immense pain. And I knew from the bottom of my soul that I'd survive it no matter what. I shopped, but only $10 worth. I had soda, but only one can. I went to my job and I did my best. I didn't lash out at people. I cut my hair, but only a trim. I cut myself off from people, but only for three or so hours. At the end of it, I had someone message me asking how I was. Considering the situation, I told them pretty shitty, and I carefully summarized the painful consequences of my situation. They responded with, Well, at least it's over now. How's everything else? What? Over? I got so angry. When someone tells you that their parent died, do you respond with, Well, at least they're dead, so you don't have to worry about their health anymore. I then vented to my best friend about how insincere and lacking empathy this person's response was. My best friend instantly jumped in with, yeah, it's so fucking dismissive. It's like you're venting. You're not looking for fix-its or to be given silver linings and platitudes. You're talking about real pain that you're going through. Exactly. That's why I was so angry. See, you don't give platitudes. You listen and validate. She laughed. Well, to be honest, you helped me to learn how to do that. "'What do you mean?' I asked. "'You taught me not to be a dick "'under the guise of being nice, "'how to really listen to someone, "'not just offer platitudes, "'and I appreciate it. "'I'd forgotten about it. "'I forgot that I have an impact on people. "'She's not the first person that's told me "'I've helped them to be a better listener. "'In fact, this week,' I had my last meeting with my caseworker of over a year, and she too told me that I've impacted the way she deals with her clients, because I was always so open and honest about how different ways of responding affect the outcome of our conversations and helped her understand better. She's passed along countless ideas and resources that she's got from me, and she's appreciated how much I've taught her. I'm going to be okay, no matter the outcomes. Thank you for that. And finally, this is an awfulsome moment uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Talks to Strangers. And she writes, After joining some of my friends for a drink, I made my way to the post office bus stop. My bus came and everyone crowded to get through the doors. I was one of the next to go on the bus when an officer pushed us away and told us to take the next one, since the one we were trying to get on was full. This led to a murmur of dissatisfaction among those of us who had to wait. In this disgruntlement, I found myself talking to a girl named Katie. As me and Katie were chatting about wanting to get home soon, she paused the conversation and made a disgusted face to someone behind me. What was that, I asked. Oh, him, she said. He raped me. Wow. That was heavy. However, it led to such a beautiful conversation. I, myself, am a victim of sexual assault. To hear another person so honestly proclaim that they have been sexually assaulted made me feel more understood and less alone. When our bus finally came, Katie and I continued the conversation. We talked about being victims of rape and having to explain that rape to others. We discussed how hard it is to validate to ourselves that we were victims of rape Recently, I've been feeling a very strong presence of my anxiety and depression. Often, I find myself remembering incidents of sexual abuse when I'm going through this. Although the topic of me and Katie's conversation was very dark, I felt such a sense of joy when I got off at my bus stop. Talking to people is incredibly vital to growth and healing. Her honesty was beautiful, and it made me feel so good to know that a complete stranger felt so comfortable with opening up to me. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, um... That's funny. I thought... I wasn't even thinking uh, when I put that... survey a couple, uh... behind the other one that I read. It's, um... Is it serendipity? Um... I want to, uh... Once again, uh, tell you about the uh, Heaven's Gate podcast launch. Uh, Check it out. It's uh, where Glenn Washington explores the story behind the mysterious cult. You can find it in Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And uh, the last thing I want to say is, um, at my support group meeting tonight, somebody talked about the difference between wanting something and being willing to have something. And the difference, I'm I'm sure I'm mangling it, but the difference between wanting something and being willing to make it happen is a difference between something that is passive and something that is active. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, sometimes to get up off my ass to do something, I have to be either scared or desperate. And desperation can be the biggest gift that you've ever had because it can be a touchstone for change. Uh, if I hadn't known that I was going to kill myself 17 years ago or 14 years ago, um, both both of those times, like on the anniversary, I like to uh, put myself into a depressed spiral and just revisit the fun. Um, I wouldn't have gotten help. And I would have missed out on all of this. And I know I say this a lot when I close the podcast, but it's so important. It's so important because what you are experiencing is not who you are. It is not who you are. It is not your value in the world. It's It may suck and it may be challenging as hell, but it might also be something that helps you develop an inner strength or communication tools or... God knows what else that will make your life beautiful. Just a thought. So if you're out there and struggling, just never forget that you're not alone. And thanks for listening.
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully. Everybody fucked up I know in some is weird bizarrely, wit. beautifully, some is weird bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.